You are listening to the sermon audio podcast of Journey Church Tampa. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy it. So, if you guys would just pray with me this morning. Oh God, you are good. Thank you, Jesus, that it is all about you. Lord, we love you, God. I thank you this morning for your word that is truth, it is powerful, it is unchanging. Lord, we are just so grateful for that. God, thank you that your promise is that your word does not return empty. Lord, when we speak your word, it goes out in power and it accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it. So I pray for that this morning, Lord. God, I pray that you would make me a vessel for what you have to speak to your people this morning, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today, we are going to be continuing the Holy Spirit series. As you guys know, yeah, as you guys know, um, Pastor Michael has been teaching from Acts 2 when um, the Holy Spirit comes and fire falls and that fills the disciples and it is just amazing. And then Peter stands up and he starts addressing the crowd with this, uncompromising passion and boldness for Jesus, he starts, he's like completely confident now in who Jesus is and why he came. He starts calling people to repentance. He starts pleading with them to accept Jesus and and, um, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be saved. It's incredible. He has all of this power. And this is a completely transformed Peter than the man from who had previously denied three times, not one time, not two times, but three times that he even knew Jesus. So this morning, we are going to flash back to a conversation that Jesus and Peter had um, after Jesus' resurrection, and it's from John 21, 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things, And who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. So to set the scene for this encounter between Jesus and Peter, it's only been about a week since the crucifixion. Jesus has miraculously appeared to Mary. He's appeared twice to the disciples. He's come and stood in their midst. It's hard to even begin to fathom what Jesus' followers were thinking and what they were experiencing in this time. There, was, there had to be just wonder. There had to be just amazement. And, and I'm sure some people doubted. There were rumors flying around. There had to be joy and just great celebration. But in the midst of the miracles and celebration, there's Peter. And Peter is a broken man. And in his mind, he's a total failure. Surely he has run through his mind again and again. Every scenario, every time that he denied that he knew Jesus. How could I have messed up so badly? How could I have cursed and turned my back on Jesus? How could I, I couldn't even stand up to a servant girl. What is wrong with me? What did I do? I'm such a failure going around and around in his mind. So Peter says to his disciples, I'm going fishing. (laughs) He wasn't going fishing because he needed money. It had only been eight days since Jesus was crucified. He wasn't going fishing for recreation. What Peter was basically saying was, I give up. He was resigning from his leadership role in the kingdom and going back to the business that he knew that he could be successful in. His heart was broken. He was running back to his comfort zone in shame. Unable to face failure, he was totally insecure in his calling and in his ability to even stay faithful to Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but I could so relate to how, people, how pe- Peter may have felt when I think about how many times that I've done something that I know didn't honor God or even just did something that I didn't want to do that I did anyway um, that didn't honor God. And, and just all of that, that shame and guilt and grief and insecurity and fear come rushing in. And then the tape starts. And then you start running it around in your mind again and again. And it just replays over and over. And in no time at all, I can convince myself that I am a failure that I'm unqualified, that I'm unworthy. I start to believe those lies, and then I start to pull away. When my husband Mike and I first met, he was not a Christian, and I was not walking with the Lord. I, even though I had been a believer, really, for for most of my life, for all of my life, um, he had attended church when he was very young with his neighbors, and he loved it um, when he was little. But um, he was agreeable to us going to church when we got married because he knew my faith and he knew that it was important to me. So after we got married, we started attending church um, near our home and we got involved in church life. I was in the choir and Mike became a trustee and we helped lead the youth group and it was, it was all good. It was good. The problem was what wasn't good was outside of my church life, we were totally living a party life. We were living a completely different life. 
I was uh, literally making decisions every day that denied that Jesus was Lord of my life. And um, I, this went on for more years than I even want to say. Um, even though God was incredibly faithful in pursuing me and loving me and he kept had me, I kept turning my back and kept putting him on the side and kept doing what I wanted to do, um, even though I knew that it didn't honor him. Um, so one Saturday night we were out um, at a bar doing what people do at a bar. We were partying. <laughs> and it was late. And um, the next morning was Sunday, Sunday morning. So, of course, we were in church on Sunday morning because that's what we did. Um, and I was greeting people. I was on, uh, I think I was on the greeting team, I'm not sure, but a guy that I work with um, and his wife came into church, and they had never been to church before, at least to that church before, and I didn't know his wife or I didn't remember meeting her, and I walked up to them and I was greeting them. And he turns to his wife, and he says, Tori, you remember Cheryl? We were doing shots with her at the bar last night. Well, when I tell you, it was like somebody shot an arrow through my heart. It was like the rooster crowed. And the grief that just washed over me. And I honestly don't remember how I responded. How do you respond to something like that? I don't remember anything more about that morning. But I do know that that conversation and that moment replayed in my mind again and again. And all of those feelings, all of that shame, all of that grief. And, you know, it wasn't just about that moment. It was about all of the other moments. And it was, um, yeah, ultimately... <laughs> It, uh, it was absolutely a pivotal moment in my life. So what can we do when we find ourselves in those cycles of shame or self-condemnation or self-disqualification, you know, over things that have happened, over things that we have, have said or done? One of the things that we can do is we can allow the grief and pain to bring humility and to bring clarity and, and let, us lead it, let it lead us to Christ to do soul searching and self-evaluation that produces change in us. Pastor Michael was preaching last week and, and he, he talked about suffering and pain and how um, we can allow it to shape us to, be more, to, to look more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. Psalm 51:17 says, "My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, you God, will not despise." And then there's James. James has a way with words. <laughs> James 4:7 through 10 says, "Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners." And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And that is an amazing, an amazing promise. So when we get, when we get that clarity, we can make a choice, and we can pivot 
we can pivot 180 degrees, 180 degrees. We can pivot towards God, repent. <laughs> we can stop looking at our failures and surrender unconditionally to God. Pivotal moments are faith-defining moments. And they're not, they're not always those humongous big events. They can be, pivotal moments can be decisions and choices that we make each day, many times a day even. You know, we constantly need to decide in our hearts whether we are going to actively and intentionally move towards God or if we're going to move away from him. It's not something that you're going to drift into, and there is no middle ground. Romans 2, 4, and we've said this verse several times in the last few weeks. We've prayed over it um, on, in our morning prayer time, too. But Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And 2 Chronicles 3, 9b says, For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Amen. Amen. So sometimes even after we've made the choice, we've made a decision, and we're going to move towards God, those thoughts want to come in and continue to haunt us and run around in our head so we really have to learn to recognize the lie that says we are unqualified and take our thoughts captive. If we don't, we can stay so focused on what we're not that we become afraid to open up to what God wants to do in our lives. You know, God has given us weapons with divine power. He's given us prayer. He's given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, and I love this, it's from the message, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, lies, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse, our thoughts, into the structure of life shaped by Christ. He has, he has given us powerful God tools for doing these things. And we have to combat the lies by getting into God's word and let it transform our thought life through starting to believe the truth of who we are in Christ. We are new creations. We are children of God. We are chosen. We are called. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are accepted. We are blessed. We are loved. We are set free. We are seated with him in heavenly places, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and so much more. Um, Romans 11.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And getting in the word, getting in the word, let it transform your mind. And another thing that we can do is we can don't, not pull away, but we can press into the family of God. God made us to be a community with one another, um, a community with one another as the body of Christ with, with Jesus at the, he at the head. The church is created in a way that our spiritual well-being is dependent on our connection with Christ through his body. We must be connected with each other in order to be what God wants us to be.
we are instructed to speak truth and life to each other. Even when it's hard to do that, that's what we are together for. We need people in our lives, believers in our lives that, that tell us when we are not thinking correctly. We need people who will get in our face and say, you are not thinking right about this and speak truth to us. Um, we have to remember that we have an enemy. He's the father of lies. He doesn't want us to be together. He wants to separate us because that's when he gets us apart and those things start running around in our minds and we don't have anybody to say to us, you are not believing truth about this situation. First Thessalonians um, 5.11 says, therefore, encouraging one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And Ephesians 4.15 and 16, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And you know, I was, I was listening to worship this morning and I was worshiping and you know, we were singing that song He's come to break the chains. He's come to break the chains. He's given us these, each other. He's given us these weapons and these tools, and, and um, he wants to break the chains. So um, as we actually start looking at our scripture from today, <laughs> um, we, have, we have the backstory on Peter's frame of mind from what, what we just talked about. Um, and we, we know that Peter and the disciples had been out in the boat fishing all night, and they hadn't caught anything. That's a long night of, of being in a boat, not catching anything. And that was as I was reading, and I was just reading through this, and, and I thought, I wonder what that con those conversations were on the boat with, with Peter and the other disciples. Because, you know, I wonder if Peter bared his soul to his brothers and said, I can't believe what I did. This is what happened. Because, I mean, they all had stuff. The word says that when Jesus got arrested, they all split. They were out of there. They abandoned him. So they were all dealing with things, I'm sure. So, you know, I, I just wondered what those conversations were. And I wondered if they were the body of Christ to each other. If they remembered what the things that Jesus had told them when he was with them and how much he loved them and, and all of the, the, the things that he told them, if those things came back to their memory and they started encouraging one another and they encouraged Peter and they said, Peter, you know, Jesus still loves you, whatever that conversation was, but it made me, it made me wonder if that's why when they, in the morning when Jesus was standing on the shore and they didn't know at first that it was him, but when they recognized that it was Jesus, Peter jumped out of the boat and ran to him. And I was like, wow, there was, there was something that happened in that, in that time. But um, So um, Jesus invites the disciples to come and have breakfast with him on the beach. And then, then the conversation that Jesus has with Peter, and he asks Peter three times if he loves him. And Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you three times. It says that Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him three times. Each time Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, I'm sure that Peter recalled his denials. 
And all of that shame and the grief and the guilt come pouring out. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Do you hear that cry of Peter's heart? Lord, you know everything. You know even better than I do how much I love you. You know, of course, Jesus doesn't ask questions, and he didn't ask these questions because he needed an answer. He already knew that Peter loved him. He wanted Peter to know. He wanted Peter to know that Peter loved him. Jesus intentionally asked Peter three times so that each time Peter answered, answered him, yes, Lord, I love you. He's speaking in total opposite of his failure. Jesus is so graciously breaking the shame off of him each time and restoring his confidence by responding with an affirming command. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, do what I have called you to do. In Matthew 16, 18, and 19, Jesus had told Peter, again, this is from the message, I love it. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, and a no on earth is a no in heaven. That is the church. That is the church. By Jesus taking Peter back to the beginning, to the moment of his calling, he gave Peter a new start and a new challenge. And he does the same thing for us. Um, I was, again, the worship team this morning, that um, this season of shedding the old and walking in the new, he wants us to shed the old and walk in the new. He does not want us dwelling on those things of the past and, and keep those things from what he has called us to. Um, Pastor Michael Kiker said, don't qualify yourself for something you didn't qualify yourself for in the first place. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, in the Amplified, it says, not that we are sufficiently qualified in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency and qualification come from God. Yeah. Even though there is always a great temptation to stay in our old life or to return to our old life, we must always remember that, first of all, our failure does not cancel our calling. We can easily be tempted to return to fishing, wasting time and energy running from God instead of stepping into what he's called us to. He doesn't force us to follow him, but his purposes for us remain unchanging. Listen to what the word says, and I thought this was incredible. This is Romans 11.29 from the Amplified. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace or to whom he sends his call. I'm going to read that again. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. He never withdraws them once they are given, and he does not change his mind about those to whom he gives his grace 
or to whom he sends his call. Amen. Every, in James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And I love this. In my Bible, in the, in the margin of my Bible, it had the word immutable. And I was like, immutable. Wow, immutable is such a great word. God is unchanging in his character, his will, and his covenant promises. God is immutable. We also need to remember that our walk with God is not based on our commitment to him, but on his commitment to us. We can have confidence not because of what we do, but because of what he did on the cross. And Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's a quote from Charles Spurgeon I found that, that says, you never hear Jesus say in Pilate's judgment hall one word that would let you imagine that he was sorry that he had ever undertaken so costly a sacrifice for us. When his hands are pierced, when he is parched with fever, his tongue dried up like a shard of pottery. When his whole body is dissolved into the dust of death, you never hear a groan or a shriek that looks like Jesus is going back on his commitment. In our scripture for today, did you notice that Jesus didn't ask Peter if he loved his sheep? He asked Peter if he loved him. Our love for Christ is really the only sufficient motivation that will enable us to keep moving towards him and continue to love one another. Affection for each other in itself is not enough to answer his call to feed my sheep. Sheep can be fearful and difficult and gullible, competitive and unkempt and pushy and running astray. He desires us to be people who live in service to others because he first loved us. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oswald Chambers says it is impossible to exhaust God's love. And it is impossible to exhaust my love if it flows from the spirit of God within me. The Lord has a call on each of your lives that requires you to step into a new reality by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, when, again, when the worship team was singing this morning, that the words of that song, to lay down your old flame and carry a new fire. When you fail, and we all fail, when that temptation comes to turn back, Jesus will always meet you there with amazing grace and forgiveness and challenge you to return to his call, follow me. What will be your response? Worship team, if you guys would come up. We are so glad that you were able to listen in to the Sermon Audio Podcast. For more information about our church and all that is happening, visit journeychurchtampa.com 